0: It's Wednesday, September 15th, and you've got Oz in your ears. Well, hi there, this is David Osman, again on the road for Radio
1: Free Oz, and we are here on the steps of the Capitol building for the unveiling of designer Yves Saint mid Midterm Modern Fashion Line. Uh, hi, Eve. Welcome to Washington, D.C. Well, merci, David, and hello to you, too.
0: Yes. You know, this is a very exciting time. Upheaval is in the air. Uh-huh. The Republicans are beginning to test blood. And as you know, many of them live entirely on blood. So for them, this is a very heady time.
1: Oh, yes. Well, it's a beheading time, too, I think, is uh, probably what they have in mind. Uh, so are you designing for these uh, right-wingers, these hordes of right-wingers that are kind of descending on this town?
0: No, David. Uh, no? No. These boob they are cut from another cloth, and it is a shod I cannot float. Oh-ho. But I have put together a line of accessories that will mm-hmm. allow us to suffer through the next two years.
1: And by that you must mean uh, some of this unusual jewelry. Ah, yes, there. the Bible
0: huh? belt. Uh, uh-huh. On both sides of the buckle you see are the lithium LEDs with continual readouts of Old and New Testament passages. Uh, uh,
1: wait, wait, wait. Let me try to follow this. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings, uh, uh, thunders, and voices. Uh-huh, that's... Uh, from, uh, Revelations? I think it is. Look inside
0: now. Look there into the mirrored buckles surrounded by the clusters of emeralds and sardine stones. What do you see?
1: Oh, oh my gosh! For Just a second there, I thought I I saw myself as Jesus. Well, everyone does,
0: David. It's a holographic trick, but for the fundamentalists, a great self-esteem builder. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. Well, what about the the watch? Oh, much Here. more than a watch. It uh-huh. is a GOP radar early warning system. It glows pink and plays the Village People Ooh. if any of the Republicans in the room are still in the closet. Oh, I had Ken Melman tagged a month before he
1: came out. Oh, that's a very clever item. Okay, now now this. What is this? A, Flimsy—it's a, a, a body suit. What, it's what's
0: an this? ultra thin, second skin, dyed the very hue of John Baez's suntan. Oh. Slip it on and fit right in with the other Georgetown barflies toasting their skyrocketing sordid careers. You, huh? can,
1: you can have a, an all tan and, 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 and a bespoke suit, sort yeah. of at the same time. Now, David, yeah. I know you're going okay. to
0: that tea party over at C Street Frat House. Oh yes. You'll need some protection. Uh, yes, Try on so. this four George Washington tricolor radio hat with antenna. We. Right, it go. blocks all signals from Fox, Rush Limbaugh, and Glenn Beck, and surreptitiously lets you listen to Rachel Maddow while these boobs are trying to fill your head with their useless natto Let me see now. Uh, well, so, usually
1: I get silence from yeah. these things, but oh, there she yes, is. She's yes, funny. She's huh? no, no, nice boobs. Well, well, I
0: must go. A client of it. mine is attending an affair where Sarah Palin will be appearing, and she wants to keep her distance. so no, no problem. Should be wearing my new scent, KTC. 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 It mimics Katie KTC. KTC. Core pheromones. It totally terrorizes Mama Grizzlies and leaves them speechless. That <laughs> must be what worked on Jan Brewer. Ah voilà! <laughs> so long. There it is. Uh, disco bed, Dave. It means that Radio Free Oz is back on the I don't know what it is about that music,
1: Peter. Just sort of,
0: and, and, and. Puts yeah.
1: this in the, just in the right place. It
0: makes me it? giggle. Actually, in these troubled times, it makes me giggle. Oh, and man. I, the giggler here, is Peter Bergman. I'm your host, our co-host, David Osmond, across the table from me here in the beautiful Blue U Studios. And I look over your shoulder. We were going to video ourselves today. Oh, my gosh. Yes, we are going to do it. And we actually bought the tape to do it, because we're getting into that. We're going to be adding video to the Oz site. You mean people can get... On the Road to Oz. The Road to Oz. David... You know, David gave it this great moniker. You know, I was going to call it the Making of Us, the Road to us. Yeah, the Scarecrow and the Tin Man, whatever. You know, uh, on on the Road to us. we're going to be videoing the doing of this on a regular basis. Think starting Friday. It's and the
1: guy. It's the guys behind the curtain.
0: Yeah, but we have yeah. a bunch, We have some videos, some stuff we've already done. We're going to be putting it up on the site. So we're expanding the whole reach of the site. You know, you notice David and I now have both have blogs.
1: Yep, I'm happy to be there. The poetry blog. Well, not all. Always poetry, Not always but it started poetry. with poetry. To to you know this week and that was good.
0: Yes, and we're only this far away from putting up our Oz audio file pages, where you'll be able to download um, uh, CD quality. I guess that's sixteen forty four and high res quality, which is twenty four forty eight of the uh, of three of our most produced pieces. That'll be that'll be a free service. And that, for a while, that's coming along. I say for a while because we are also seriously in the process of putting together something special on Oz because we have a really hardcore group of very interesting people and interested people. We're going to create a membership site, the ears. We're going to create the ears hey, the ears. That, that came out of your head, right? That's, yeah, that, yeah, that, that one that one is out the of mind. The
1: road to Oz. That was easy, yeah, but the Oz and Ears. Yeah, yeah
0: it, it'll be a subscription. You'll get all kinds of premiums for doing it. Yeah. The, the MP3s, the show will always be, MP3s always free on Radio Free Oz. But there's going to be other stuff. There's going to be, you know, snot rag in a bag. And there's going to be, there's going to be special CDs. And there's going to be diplomas. And there's going to be special offers. <laughs> and all kinds of marvelous stuff. And it's going to be for the Oz and Ears. Bing and Bob are morocco bound we're <laughs> all, yeah we're definitely on the road so yeah and you know so you know because we're with you every day and we found that I found that putting up the blog for example I've been blogging on a regular basis and I'm beginning to get comments some of which I read on the air it's really like feeling our communities developing and in these fractured crazy times community is as good as it gets I think
1: uh, all I hear uh, at the old coffee store shop in the morning old 1504 which i i i hear is going to disappear yeah um is uh, you know is about the economy that's what people talk about there you know because they're either retired or they ha- or
0: there's a judge.
1: You know, I mean, these people
0: don't worry a lot about the economy. Yeah, our judge comes in in motorcycle leathers, right on his Ducati. Yeah, right? probably yeah. doing 115 on the highway, and then going back to put people, you know, behind bars for
1: speeding. You know, it's it's. There's a lot it, of landscapers that come in though. They oh, don't have a woman lot of box. There's the
0: woman, that gorgeous woman that comes in with the two knives strapped to her thighs. <laughs> That's
1: my kind of Amazon, baby. You know, what it, it says, you know,
0: trees are me or something like that. Huh? <laughs> then the fishermen. Come in smelling of clams, and they've got all this stuff, and you know, and then and and all the various types. I love it here on the island, it's a great cross,
1: yeah, and it's pretty darn self sufficient. What we were gonna say is that how, how you know, how living here is kind of a model, and people talk about it all the time a model for what is gonna have to be the future community because. You know, when the ferry boat stops running, yeah. we better have enough farmland here.
0: Well, you know, we went to that. We went to that. Uh, they did a farm tour here on the island a couple days ago, where people. Um, Made their farms available to folks who come around, just take a look at all kinds of farms. And we had a dinner out at, at Muckle Teo Coffee, and all of the food there is supplied by local people. The beef through the beets, right? All local stuff. At more expensive because of it, but good, organic, and self-sufficient, right? You know, the only the only thing we don't have, I heard, yeah, is eggs. No, no, Chickens. We well, have eggs. We have eggs. That's right, of course. We eggs eggs but but we don't, not chicken. People do not raise chicken here as livestock. I mean, in other words, for meat. They this don't. is the question of which came first. Wait well, a minute. Now, you know, you I used to think, no, I don't want to raise chickens. I mean, I'm just playing with this anyway cuz I'm sitting here. I'm I, I'm a complete, you know, extra strong coffee house you know, bourgeois, uh, you know, blabbermouth. I don't know if I'm much of a... <laughs>
1: Not a chicken guy.
0: But but now I've discovered there is a, a, a way around. The real problem with chickens is that you have a chicken coop. It stinks all the time. What they have now is this kind of round enclosure where you have the chickens for a while, then you pick it up and you roll it and put it in another place. And where they were, that's all fertilized. And that's where it stinks. Now it stinks somewhere else. Oh, I like that. Roll out the chickens. Uh-huh, I like roll out the chickens. Well, some of the chickens are coming home to roost today, Dave. You know, because of the time shift, we're we're actually recording this on Tuesday, right? Uh, for Wednesday and Thursday, and the, the the polls are open right now, and uh, the the final primaries are coming to a close, and we're going to find so out soon don't know how yet. many of those wing nuts are going to be running. I mean, well, to, let's just let's just we'll,
1: we'll talk about the wingnuts kind of in in absentia today, and then and tomorrow at uh, Friday in then, terror. Well, in terror, yeah. let
0: me tell you how bad it's gotten. Phil Fountain, the, the head of our design group, right? He and his wife went to a, a community political meeting. Uh, it was candidates meet the candidates, and these are local candidates for you know local commissioner or tax and deeds or assessor. You know, assessor. What it was in a Baptist church, and he said it was so frightening. Half the people up there were regular, normal people. The other half were only talking about the mosque. And about you gotta can't vote for them because something's wrong. there's just something wrong with them. And this is a guy that's running for county tax assessor as I say, or building commissioner. It's got nothing to do with mosques and you know and, and taxes and and, and, and the Shahira law and all that and they were blaming the unions for all the, the all the money problems. and he said it was just. Plain scary. (laughs) I'm getting scared, Dave. I am. Well, that's why we're hunkering down here on good old Whidbey Island and Radio Free Oz. Yeah, all we need really to make things perfect here is a couple more of them chickens. This is off uh, Bergman's blog on the Radio uh, Free Oz uh, site, which we welcome you to come up, take a look, read, make some comments, get involved. We're having a lot of fun up there, and it just gets better and better. And this is called Fear and Hate 451. So, Pastor Terry Jones has upped his cue another mega level by going on the Today Show and telling the world he isn't going to throw his 9-11 Koran burning party after all. A patriotic pie-in-the-face to the show's producers for giving in to this toxic wingnut's blackmail. All Terry had to do was threaten a mean, senseless, wildly damaging act that barely qualifies within the Bill of Rights, and bingo! He's on the front page of the Daily Fish Wrap, pumped full of Google juice, huff and puffed, blogged within an inch of his life, and on the couch between Lady Gaga and Sharon Osbourne telling David, Jay, and Conan why he decided not to put a match to Mohammed. What puts the extra O in this odious scenario is that the Rev did not heed the advice of his president, the general in charge of the AFPAC crusade, every other Christian in Gainesville, and Mama Bear herself until the very last moment. Never mind the mobs in Kabul calling for my death. I am an American. Never mind the brigade of youth turned to jihad because of this egregious provocation. Pastor Pyromaniac has quickened the late summer news cycle and made a thousand column inches bloom. Permitting him to preen and posture on camera as he prepares to put the torch to someone else's truth is a demonstration loud and clear of the resilience and capacity of our democracy, the very product we're importing abroad to millions of someone else's. And in a better world one in which we gathered up our failed policies and spent uranium and returned home to take care of our own, the story of how we let Terry be Terry in the name of free speech and personal freedom would be told in every girls' school we had built from the Khyber Pass to Kandahar. But no. This flexing of our muscular system of civil liberties was obscured by the chorus of Muslim rhetoric emanating from the nasty crowds at Ground Zero, the troubled mind of Newt Gingrich, and the poisonous preachings of Franklin Graham, among others. Oh, that Billy had not given us his only son. What's next? Surely Reverend Terry's public relations triumph has produced a litter of copycats. They're going to have to belly up and lift the bar of desecration if they expect to get any respect from the jaded pharaohs of journalism. The resources are there. Just browse the slideshow from Abu Ghraib. All it takes is a little imagination and a willing press. See you on the other side. Hey, all of you Ozeneers on Twitter, uh, retweeting has its rewards, and we are going to give you an opportunity to win some cool stuff simply by helping us spread the word about Radio Free Oz on Twitter. If you aren't following us yet, go up to www.twitter.com slash oznetwork and follow the show. See you on the inside. This one off of NPR.org. Scientists on a research vessel in the Gulf of Mexico are finding a substantial layer of oily sediment stretching for dozens of miles in all directions. Their discovery suggests that a lot of oil from the deep water horizon didn't simply evaporate or dissipate into the water, it has settled to the sea floor. And this am big bad news. The research vessel Oceana sailed on August 21st on a mission to figure out what happened to the more than 4 billion barrels of oil that gushed onto the water. On board, Samantha Joy, a professor in the Department of Marine Sciences at the University of Georgia, says she suddenly had a pretty good idea about where a lot of it ended up. It's showing up in samples of the seafloor between the well site and the coast. She says, I've collected literally hundreds of sediment cores from the Gulf of Mexico, including around this area, and I've never seen anything like this, she said in an interview via satellite. Joy describes seeing layers of oily material in some places more than two inches thick, covering the bottom of the sea floor. Oh, my. It's very fluffy and porous, and there are little tar balls in there you can see that look like microscopic cauliflower heads, she says. It's very clearly a fresh layer. Right below it, she finds much more typical seafloor mud. And in that layer, she finds recently dead shrimp, worms, and other invertebrates. A new surprise. How did the oily segment get there? Joy says it's possible that chemical dispersants may have sunk some oil, but it's also likely that natural systems are playing an important role. The organisms that break down oil excrete mucus, copious amounts of mucus, Joy said. So it's kind of like a slime highway from the surface to the bottom, because eventually the slime gets heavy and it sinks. It's starting to sound like a tremendous amount of oil, and we haven't even sampled close to the wellhead yet. David Hollander from the University of South Florida says the government's original attempt to figure out what happened to the oil toted up how much washed ashore, how much evaporated, and how much may have stayed under the waves. But it didn't consider that oil could also end up on the sea floor, And so now the bottom really is turning out to be an important sink for the oil, he says. But the ecological impacts of oil on the seafloor depend on the depth of the ocean where it lies. Joy's findings so far have found oil in depths ranging from 300 to 4,000 feet. Shallower waters in particular are potentially uh, important, not just for life on the bottom, but for the entire marine ecosystem. A lot of fish go to the bottom and eat and then come back up, Hollander says. And if all their food sources are derived from the bottom, then indeed you could have this impact. Figuring all that, though, will probably take many, many years. Yeah, many many years of bad shrimp, bad fish, bad politics. BP running away from their responsibility. You know the thing that really gets me about all this is you know Oz as a Daily Show was born two days after you know you know the Horizon blew up and everybody was on top of it until they capped it and now it's kind of like disappeared. It's out of the news cycle. It's down there on the slime highway. Dave, let me treat you to a new approach to the whole idea of ecology and global warming. It's interesting, it's disturbing, and it's compelling. The cover of the American Scholar Quarterly carries an impertinent assertion, the Earth doesn't care if you drive a hybrid. The essay actually instead is titled, What the Earth Knows. What it knows, according to Robert Laughlin, co-winner of the 1998 Nobel Prize in Physics, is that what humans do... And ostensibly for the earth does not matter in the long run. and the long run is what matters to the earth. We must Laughlin says, think about the earth's past in terms of geologic time. For example, the world's total participation in a year is about one meter, the height of a golden retriever, about 200 meters. The height of, of the Hoover dam have fallen on earth since the industrial revolution. Since the ice age ended, enough rain has fallen to fill all the oceans four times. Since the dinosaurs died, rainfall has been sufficient to fill the oceans 20,000 times. Yet the amount of water on the earth probably hasn't changed significantly over geologic time. Okay? Okay. Damaging this old earth is, Laughlin says, easier to imagine than it is to accomplish. There have been mass volcanic explosions, meteor impacts, and all manner of other abuses greater than anything people could inflict. And it's still here it's a survivor. Now, he admits that a lot of responsible people are worried about atmospheric concentrations of carbon dioxide. He says this has the potential to modify the weather by raising temperatures several degrees centigrade. The governments have taken significant, although ineffective, steps to slow the warming. But on the scales of time relevant to itself, the earth doesn't care about any of these governments or their legislation. Buy a hybrid, turn off your air conditioner, unplug your refrigerator, yank your phone charger from the wall socket. Such, such actions will have the end result exactly, leave the end result exactly the same. Someday all the fossil fuels that will be used in the ground will be burned. After that, in about a millennium, the earth will dissolve most of the resulting carbon dioxides into the oceans, etc., etc. It's all a matter of millennia over millennia everything will be okay eventually returning all the levels to the sea and and that humans may may think about it but it's just a blink of geologic time
1: macro versus micro yes we live in the micro we live every day every second every microsecond in the micro so having a uh, the 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 only uh, there's a macro view of the world which came about when uh, they took the first picture of the whole Earth. It was a fundamental change in 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 consciousness, uh, human consciousness, that there was thought there was this thing, this round thing that was blue and white and slight, and brown in places. This ocean Earth. Yes, that's what we were living on, and that that was then became Gaia. Yeah, the, Gaia, Gaia, the yeah. goddess yeah. Earth. As it
0: were, Earth as a um, as a you know as an almost sentient being, yeah, it, yeah. Because ecology had to do with the fact we're interacting with something that's very real and responsive. And
1: and, and I think that uh, that. Looking at the earth in that way, you, yeah, oh, well, there's this little boil down there. The volcano, the volcano is a little boil on the finger, it really doesn't matter very much. On the, Those are the, the people the, living at the base
0: of the volcano,
1: yeah, yeah. So, I think this guy, this writer, has a, yeah, he's right, sure. Millennia, same amount of water, water, it comes and goes, but people get flooded. Away and then they get droughted upon. It, it, it's not
0: the same in in micro, and it's not the same when you put people on the. Planet. I think it's very disingenuous. I mean, it's fine in, in the in. In the terms of being able to get one kind of perspective, you can laugh at the fact that, yeah, my hybrid, I don't have hybrid, but my, my clean running diesel really makes a difference, doesn't make a difference. The fact is, is that we've, I've got to deal with what it does to the people next door. I've got to figure out what it does to people down the way who are living too close to the oceans that are draining or coming up. So, yeah. yeah. Well,
1: it, it's it now is a part of your social fabric, which yeah. is another um, – uh, Skin on the Earth altogether, different skin, right? Different not, skin. This and, is your social not a geologic
0: fabric. skin. You know, it's very recent. It's just tiny, right? It's fragile. There aren't a
1: lot of people driving Hummers on Whidbey Island. I no. th- I think it's partly because they don't want people looking at at yeah. them and pointing their middle fingers at them. You it's know?
0: entirely possible. It's it's pure pressure. Remember, pollute locally, warm globally. This is out of The New Yorker and written by Lawrence Wright, who's the author of The Looming Tower, and one of the experts on 9-11 and its concomitants. When a dozen cartoons satirizing the Prophet Muhammad appeared in a conservative daily newspaper in September of 2005, there was only a muted outcry from the small Danish Muslim community and little reaction in the rest of the Muslim world. Six months later, however, riots broke out and Danish embassies were burned. More than 100 people died. Assassination threats were made and continue to this day. Last year, when plans were announced for Cordoba House, an Islamic community center, to be built two blocks north of Ground Zero, few opposed them. The project was designed to promote moderate Islam and provide a bridge to other faiths. Iman Faisal Abdul-Rauf, the Sufi cleric leading the effort, told the Times in December, We want to push back against the extremists. In August, the landmark Preservation Commission granted Park 51, as the center is now known, unanimous approval. A month later, it is the focus of a bitter quarrel about the place of Islam in our society. The lessons of the Danish cartoon controversy serve as an ominous template for the current debate. One reason for the initial lack of reaction to the cartoons was that they were essentially innocuous— There is a prohibition on depictions of the prophet in Islam, but that taboo has ebbed and flowed over time, and only two of the 12 published cartoons could really be construed as offensive in themselves. One portrayed the prophet as a barbarian with a drawn sword, which played into a racial stereotype. The other showed him wearing a turban in the shape of a bomb. Newspapers in several Muslim countries published the cartoons to demonstrate that they were tasteless rather than vicious. The cartoons, in other words, did not cause the trouble. So what happened? A group of radical imams in Denmark, led by Ahmed Abdul Laban, an associate of Gamayal Ali's Namiya, an Egyptian terrorist organization, decided to use the cartoons to inflate their own importance. They showed the cartoons to various Muslim leaders in other countries and included three illustrations that had not appeared in the Danish papers. One was a photograph of a man supposedly wearing a prayer cap and a pig mask and imitating the prophet. He turned out to be a contestant in a French hog-calling competition. Another depicted a dog mounting a Muslim in prayer. The third was a drawing of the prophet as a maddened pedophile gripping helpless children like dolls in either hand. The imams later claimed that these illustrations had been emailed to them as threats, although they never produced any proof that they hadn't made the drawings themselves, and so were fair representations of European anti-Muslim sentiment. The leaders saw them and were inflamed. The Sunni scholar Yusuf Al Karadari demanded a day of rage. So far, we've had five years of rage. In the dispute over Park 51, the role of the radical imams has been taken by bloggers and right-wing commentators. In this parable, Pamela Geller, who writes a blog called Atlas Shrugs and runs a group called Stop Islamization of America, plays the part of Ahmed Abu Laban. Geller has already contributed to the phony claim that President Obama is a Muslim, which 20% of the American public now believe is true, by promoting a theory that he is the bastard son of Malcolm X. Because of Park's 51 location, Geller compares the community center, or the 9-11 Monster Mosque, as she tells, Terms it, to Al Aqsa, the ancient mosque on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, a flashpoint for Jewish extremists in Israel. Geller framed the argument for the New York Post, which added the false information that Park 51 was going to open on the 10th anniversary of 9 11. Deliberate misrepresentations of Imam Abdul Rauf as a supporter of terror further distorted the story as it moved on to the Fox commentariat and from there to political figures such as Newt Gingrich, who compared Abdul Rauf and his supporters to Nazis desecrating the Holocaust Memorial Museum by their presence. These strident falsehoods have undoubtedly influenced the two-thirds of Americans who now oppose Park 51. The cynicism of this rhetorical journey can be traced to the remarks of Laura Ingram, who interviewed Daisy Khan, Abduroff's wife and partner in the project. In December, I can't find many people who really have a problem with it, Ingram told Khan then. I like what you're trying to do. Ingram has since been brought into line. I say the terrorists have won with the way this has gone down, she said last month on Good Morning America, 600 feet from where thousands of our fellow Americans were incinerated in the name of political Islam, and we're supposed to be considered intolerant if we're not cheering this. Culture wars are currently being waged against Muslim Americans across the country. In Murfreesboro, Tennessee, where Muslims have been worshiping for 30 years, a construction vehicle was burned at the site of a new Islamic center. Pat Robertson, the fundamentalist Christian leader, warned his followers on the 700 Club that if the center brings thousands and thousands of Muslims into the area, the next thing you know, they're going to be taking over the city council. They're going to have an ordinance that calls for public prayer five times a day. As in the Park's 51 controversy, fear-mongering and slander serve as the basis of an argument that cannot rely on facts to make its case. The most worrisome development in the evolution of al-Qaeda's influence since 9-11 is the growth of pockets of Islamist radicalism in Western populations. Until recently, America has been largely immune to the extremism that has placed some European nations in peril. America's Muslim community is more ethnically diverse than that of any other major religion in the country. Its members hold more college and graduate degrees than the national average. They also have a higher employment rate and more jobs in the professional sector. Compare that with England and France, where education and employment rates among Muslims fall below the national average. These factors have allowed American Muslims and non-Muslims to live together with a degree of harmony that any other Western nation would envy. The best ally in the struggle against violent Islamism is moderate Islam. The unfounded attacks on the backers of Park 51 and others, along with such sideshows as a pastor calling for the burning of Korans, give substance to the Al-Qaeda argument that the U.S. is waging a war against Islam, rather than against the terrorist misshapen effigy of that religion. Those stirring the pot in this debate are casting a spell that is far more dangerous than they may imagine.
2: My portfolio is high. I'm going on vacation. Anywhere I want to, I put it on my card. I could use a little sun and to see some ancient ruins. The pyramids are calling, off to Egypt I will fly. I go swimming in the big Egyptian river, bathing in the waters of the Nile. The sun is shining down, and everybody's happy. Bathing in the waters of denial. My job is so secure, and my government is stable. The weather's getting better, a little warmer every year. And now we've got free trade, and everyone will prosper. Locals here are happy. I think I'll have another beer. Let's go swimming. Now we're swimming swimming in in the big big. Egyptian river, bathing in the waters of the Nile. The sun is shining down and everybody's happy. Breathing in the waters of the I thought I heard a bomb It must be a celebration If anything was wrong they tell me on TV Sometimes I am amazed How perfect things are going I think I'll do some shopping And take a little time for me Everybody's doing it We're swimming, swimming in, in the big day. Egyptian White river stroke, stroke, side stroke, cross. Bathing in the waters Of denial He's got it, he's got it all The sun's shining down. down And everybody's happy Happy He's so happy, happy Bathing in the water Of the night. Oh yeah, everybody's doing it We're swimming in the beach. A gypsy in a river stroke, a breaststroke, a side stroke, cross. Bathing in the water Of the night. He's got it, he's got it all The sun's shining down And everybody's happy Happy He's so happy, happy bathing in the water, bathing, bathing in of the waters of denial. We'll go bathing in the water, bathing in the waters of denial.
0: Even as more American troops flow into the country, Afghanistan is more dangerous than it has ever been during the war, with security deteriorating in recent months according to international organizations and humanitarian groups. Large parts of the country that were once completely safe, like most of the northern provinces, now have a substantial Taliban presence, even in areas where there are few Pashtuns, who previously were the Taliban's only supporters. As NATO forces poured in and shifted to the south to battle the Taliban and their stronghold, the Taliban responded with a surge of their own, greatly increasing their activities in the north and parts of the east. The worsening security comes as the Obama administration is under increasing pressure to show results to maintain public support for the war and raises serious concerns about whether the country can hold legitimate nationwide elections for parliament next Saturday. Unarmed government employees can no longer travel safely in 30 percent of the country's 368 districts, according to published United Nations estimates. And there are districts deemed too dangerous to visit in all but one of the country's 34 provinces. The number of insurgent attacks has increased significantly. In August 2009, insurgents carried out 630 attacks. This August, they initiated at least 1353. An attack on a western medical team in northern Afghanistan in early August, which killed 10 people, was the largest massacre in years of aid workers in Afghanistan. The humanitarian space is shrinking day by day, said a Care Afghanistan official, Abdul Kabar. American military officials say the increased level of violence is related to the rise in the number of its forces there. Well, that's good news. Put in more people, have more violence. That's a nice algorithm. The last 2,000 of... 30,000 new American troops are expected to arrive in the next week or two, military officials say. The result is more military operations, they say, and more opportunities for the insurgents to attack coalition forces. This is what Eikenberry warned about last November. You send in more people, all you're going to get is more violence. But no, Hillary and Barack didn't listen. Now, that does not entirely explain the increased activity of the Taliban in areas where they were seldom seen before and where the coalition presence is light, however. Last year, American military leaders adopted a strategy of concentrating operations in what they identified as 80 key terrain districts, mostly in the south and east of the country, less than a fourth of Afghanistan's districts. The idea was to attack the Taliban where they are strongest and concentrate forces where populations were largest. While how many fighters the insurgents have is a matter uh, of estimate and conjecture, the impact they have is easy enough to judge. Last month, ISAF recorded 4,919 kinetic events. I love this language. Well, that's different than a passive event. What, an IUD that never goes off, I guess, is a passive event. 4,919 kinetic events, including small arms fire, bombs and shelling, a 7% increase over the previous month and a 49% increase over, over August of 2009. The Afghan NGO safety office says that by almost every metric it has, Afghanistan is more dangerous now than at any time since 2001. The most recent troop buildup comes in response to steady advances by the Taliban. Four years ago, the insurgents were active in only four provinces. Now they are active in 33 of 34, the organizations say. You know what? We are losing this occupation. It's not a war. It's deadly like war. But there's not a real enemy here. This is an occupation, and we're losing. Military officials counter they are making headway against the Taliban. Petraeus said recently that NATO forces had killed almost 3,000 insurgents this summer, 235 of them commanders. Last December, the military assessed Taliban strength at 25,000. So what? They've killed 10% of the Taliban? You think? A top coalition general bristled recently. I wonder what a general looks like when he bristles. Does does his hair stand out, you know, like in those cartoons? Well, he was bristling when asked about views among some critics that NATO was losing the fight. How do they know we're losing? I can lay out rhyme and reason about where we're making progress. Will you go ahead and do that, General? We're building. They're destroying. I say to them, prove it. Oh, I tell you that. Now, there's a real explanation of the war. We're building, they're destroying. We build it during the day, they destroy it at night. We come back, we build it. Sometimes we destroy it, they build it. Actually, it ends up, everybody destroys it. Well, 9-11 is over, you know. It's, it, I, I fear it almost as much as the 4th of July and various other <laughs> holidays where weird things happen sometimes. But they they did not really burn many Korans. That's the good news. No, or tear many pages out. But a would-be Koran burner in Amarillo, Texas, was foiled by a 23-year-old Texas skateboarder named Jacob Isom, who was among a group of people protesting a plan burning on Saturday. As Isom described it, I snuck up behind him and took his Quran and he said something about burning the Quran. I said, Dude, you have no Quran and ran off. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. So this is the new this, this is the new political dialogue. He should have been tweeting him, right? Dude, you have mm. no you know all right. David Grisham, who announced the plans to burn the Quran in support of Florida pastor Terry Jones, right, the Mm -hmm. wingy nut, who called off his own planned Koran burning on television, yeah, right, is the director of Repent Amarillo. According to the Amarillo Globe News, the group aims to deter promiscuity, homosexuality, and non-Christian worship practices through confrontation and prayer. This is serious stuff. Oh, confrontation! We're, well, uh-huh. prom, you, yeah. you're, you're you know you are of the devil if you are promiscuous, mm-hmm. if you are homosexual, mm-hmm. and if you are worshiping in a non-Christian way. It's damn serious. And state. if you got all three together, they're really in your face. Oh no! Okay, so. Repent Amarillo has recently led a boycott against Houston after it elected Mayor Anise Parker, who is a lesbian. It also targeted a group of local swingers back in March. According to Globe News, Isom was one of about 200 people gathered to support or or protest Grisham's plan and says he grabbed Grisham's copy when he became distracted while arguing with several residents at Sam Houston Park about the merits of burning the Islamic holy book. You're just trying to start holy wars, Isom said to Grisham before giving the Koran to a Muslim leader who was also present. Yeah, that's what he's trying to do. Well, that's
1: uh, that's, inter, that's sort of interfaith community communication there. I like that's a like skateboarder. There's here's these three people. You know, because okay, so you see the movie. Here's this guy who's going to burn the Koran. Whoever the hell that. part he of is. Amarillo, right. repent. Yeah, okay. Amarillo, repent. Which there's is a, all
0: part of this scary, scary religio fascist stuff. That's there's a there.
1: there's a flag and a there's a flag and a, and a cross so they're, they're there. And then there's the skateboarder. Yeah, you can imagine he's got the chains. He's you got know, burn a. I a you know, whole thing yeah, you know a whole thing yeah. and uh, and then and then we find out there's a muslim cleric or someone like or someone like him standing, standing, standing nearby to, ready to take you know
0: ready to take the quran once a skateboarder to well, i, th- I, I, I has think taken.
1: I, i'm i'm proud of the skateboarder needless to say i mean that's really quite a, a scene but I'm, i am i am yeah, scared of this confrontational thing now,
0: and it's getting worse and worse, Dave. And the more and more of those people are showing up at Tea Party rallies with guns, saying, you know, bullets or ballots, there will be a reconstruction. All this sort of Didn't stuff. It
1: used to be we were just uh, just afraid of the hell's angels. I mean. We were scared of them coming into town on their motorcycles, was that it?
0: Yeah, the wild Uh. ones. Now, you know, now it's the inerrant ones you have to watch out for. Oh, gosh. On their prayer mobiles. (laughs) (laughs) Never made a mistake. Never gonna make one. Bam, bam. (laughs) From the Gray Lady, and we sure are glad she's still around. The world's top bank regulators have agreed on far-reaching new rules intended to make the global banking industry safer and protect international economies from future financial disasters. Sounds like a good plan to me. At least a good goal. The new requirements will more than triple the amount of capital that banks must hold in reserve, an effort to move banks towards more conservative positions and force them to maintain a larger cushion against potential losses. They come two years after the collapse of Lehman Brothers set off a worldwide banking crisis that required billions in government bailouts. Government bailouts, our tax money. The centerpiece of the agreement is a measure that requires banks to raise the amount of common equity they hold, considered the least risky form of capital, to 7% of assets from 2%. That is a jump. Together with other requirements intended to safeguard against risk, it could significantly alter the way banks do business. Banks have warned that the new regulations could reduce profits, my, my, strain weaker institutions, and raise the cost of borrowing. But regulators provided a lengthy transition period to give banks time to adjust, the better part of the decade, for some of the strictest rules. It will make banks less profitable, probably, said Joe Peak, professor of international banking and financial economics at the University of Kentucky, but it will make the system safer because there will be more of a cushion from insolvency so banks can withstand more of a hit and still walk away alive. I wish we could say that for the rest of us.
2: I was born
1: an American.
2: I was raised An American, and I'll die. An American, in America.
0: Public opinion of the Republican Party's legislative platforms has hardly been polled to date, in large part because few specifics have been offered in detail. It's hard to poll something that isn't there, but they're trying. But on Tuesday, the Pew Congressional Connection released a survey of public opinion on four main proposals that have, in however vague terms, been put forward by the members of the GOP leadership, and the results indicate that the Republican Party faces a fairly obvious deficit in public trust on policy matters, even as it seems poised to make major political gains this November. That's because it's not about policy. It's about anger and stupidity and bad food and couch potatoism and racism and, and, and frustration. According to the results, a proposal to extend all the Bush tax cuts, including those for the wealthy, was supported by just 29% of the respondents. Calls to repeal the health care reform law passed by President Obama was favored by just 32% of the public. Creating vouchers for Medicare was supported by just 33% of the public. Amending the Constitution to disallow authentic citizenship for citizens of illegal immigrants who were born in the United States was favored by 46-49% opposed, much too close for my like, the one policy proposal that the GOP has put forward that has majority support is creating personal accounts for Social Security, which was favored by 58% of respondents. Coming less than two months before the 2010 elections, the findings feed a question often bandied about by Democratic strategists not associated with specific campaign committees. Why has the party been so ineffective in focusing the spotlight on the Republican alternatives being offered to voters? While the president's own policies remain unpopular, 45% don't like the health care reform, although relatively few want to actually repeal it, the GOP platform appears either equally distrusted or broadly unknown. Three-quarters of the respondents said they could not name the leader of the GOP or said that the party does not have a leader. That's the same person!
1: Well, hello dear friends This is the Reverend Bill Barnstormer And I'm right here by your side At the first ultra-unorthodox church of science Fiction You know, dear friends We've all been thinking a lot about freedom And say thank you for that What with the colorful, historic recreationists Out there dressed up like George Washington, Patrick Henry, and those original nine justices who wrote our Constitution. And the Don't Tread on My Snake flags. Yes, sir. Live free or die, they say. But you know, most of us are not ready for that just yet in this lifetime. And say thank you for that. So can't we all agree that big government's nose has no place under the sheets? Now, the sheet metal siding on my double-wide, that has the government's nose all over it. Now about freedom and taxes. You know, I don't pay taxes, because I've taken a vow of near poverty, and I'm as near as I'd like to get. say thank you for that, but dear friends, if you are a rich person, take that tax money Congress is going to give back to you and trickle it on down pay somebody to drive your laundry to the French cleaners. Eat your meals out and tip. Spread it around at the farmer's market. Spend freely and say thank you. You know, not so long ago, dear friends, freedom meant a thing with a a deadly price on it for a lot of folks. Why, some women figured it was all about voting and jobs in Cosmopolitan magazine and and most most kids thought freedom was summer vacation, and you could say thank you again and again for that. But freedom at this time isn't about the show-off in the wig. It's about our right as the chosen people, Americans, to milk the cow dry. And the sooner she's dry, dear friends, the closer we are to that next world where we can all say thank you and eat our last supper unto all eternity. This is the Reverend Bill Barnstormer. Don't forget to send for my two new good booklets: "Medical Marijuana Inside the Government Health Plan" and "Household Tips About Terrorists." Just send a, a cute postcard uh, to me at Good Booklets, Box X, in Old Gaspipe, California. Goodbye for
0: now. This from Talking Points Memo. The New Republic editor-in-chief Martin Peretz has publicly apologized for having written that Muslims are not worthy of the protections of the First Amendment. Well, thank you, Martin. How nice of you to apologize for such egregious thinking. When I was growing up in college, the New Republic was a bastion of good liberal thinking. It was smart. He ain't. At the same time, though, he is standing by a statement that Muslims do not value human life. What is this man doing editing what's supposed to be a legitimate rag? And adds that New York Times columnist Nicholas Kristof, who had criticized him, would agree. Alas, Kristof does not agree. Peretz wrote last week, But frankly, Muslim life is cheap, most notably to Muslims. And among those Muslims led by the Imam Rauf, there is hardly one who has raised a fuss about the routine and random bloodshed that defines their brotherhood. This, by the way, is not true. So, yes, I wonder whether I need honor these people and uh, pretend that they are worthy of the privileges of the First Amendment, which I have in my gut the sense that they will abuse. Christoph then wrote over the weekend, Thus, a prominent American commentator in a magazine long associated with tolerance ponders whether Muslims should be afforded constitutional freedoms. Is it possible to imagine the same kind of casual slur tossed off about blacks or Jews? How do America's nearly 7 million American Muslims feel when their faith is denounced as barbaric? Sig Heil. Peretz responded with a new post. Regarding the First Amendment claims, he said, I wrote that, but I do not believe it. Well, I wonder if that applies to any other of your benighted ramblings. Yeah, the editor of a major magazine doesn't really mean what he says. Why doesn't he just print the New Republic backwards? I do not think that any group or class of persons in the United States should be denied the protections of the First Amendment. Not now, not ever. It's like Terry Jones saying, I will not burn the Koran, not now, not never. I've gotten everything I need out of this, now I don't have to burn it. I would abhor such a prospect, as parrots. I do not wish upon Muslim Americans the sorts of calumnies that, that were endured by Italian-Americans in connection with Sacco and Vanzetti and Jewish-Americans in connection with communism. Well, he just laid those out, huh? Sorry, man. Got to take responsibility for what comes out of your evil mush mouth. However, he also included, he's got to hedge himself and remain obnoxious. The, the other sentence is, frankly, Muslim life is cheap, especially for Muslims. This is a statement of fact, not value. Oh, good. In his column, Christoph made uh, this seems like a statement of bigotry, but on his blog, he notes that he concurs with it. Peretz makes some points that are valid, he says he's quoting uh, Christoph, and I agree with him that Muslims haven't said nearly enough about these Muslims who kill other Muslims in Kurdish areas, in Iraq, in Western Sahara, in Sudan, and so on. Christoph does not concur about this alleged statement. Sure, many Muslims have killed other Muslims, and there hasn't been enough outcry. But I've also seen Muslim aid workers risking their lives in Darfur, for example, or in Gaza, or in Iraq, or in Pakistan, or in Afghanistan, or in uh, Indonesia, in a way that we would all and could all emulate. Those aid workers value human life so much they risk their own to save others. To insist that Muslims don't value human life because some terrorists don't is an insult to a billion Muslims around the world, and it is also wrong. Martin Peretz should resign as editor of the New Republic, and they should clean house. Well, uh, Radio Freya is closing down for another day, or is it night where you are? We're going to be saying goodbye to the web's number one news team, or are we just the number one team? Nobody calls themselves a team on the The web. number one web team. Web team, yes. Pete and Dave,
1: the uh, number uh, one web team. You just say web team, and everybody knows what that means. Yeah.
0: Well, let's let's tang them, baby, and then, <laughs> then we can go talk about
1: it. Let's then. tang them. Okay. Um, another autumn poem, a little short one. I think this is a two two. No, this is Li-Po. Li-Po, I like him. Autumn lines, Li-Po. Clean fall wind. Clear fall moon. Leaves heaped by the wind. Leaves scattered. A cold raven flaps slowly from his roost. Thoughts of you fill my head. Will I ever see you again? The ache Around my heart
0: Gets bigger Ah yes The ache inside of autumn Well more autumn tomorrow And more Oz with it The Oz team that makes this all happen Peter Bergman your host David Osman your co-host Bill McIntyre producing it. John Cummings doing the ones and zeros. Phil Fountain, head of the Oz Design Group. Dave Maloney doing the wonderful audio work here and and making the blue U available. Scott Wilde does our social media and is building the website. Uh, You know, just making it more and more robust. Excuse the expression. And Tom Goodwillow is our webmaster. So see ya. On the other side, and don't forget Chaz Glass, who keeps the figures coming.